This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese will visit China for the first time in the next few months. That's how you get mutual agreement, mutual respect and advance the interests of both our nations. And I thank President Xi uh, for the invitation. It's the latest milestone in Australia's frosty relationship with China, which has been slowly thawing since Labor took office. But the diplomatic tensions between the two countries have had real-life consequences for Chinese-Australian communities, who say they're experiencing higher levels of racism, hostility and suspicion in recent years. Today, the Chinese-Australians caught in the middle. It's Monday, the 2nd of October. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. My name is Osman Chu. I'm a research fellow at the per capita think tank. I'm a second-generation Chinese-Australian who was born and grew up in Sydney. In October 2020, Chu was one of three Chinese-Australians who appeared at a Senate inquiry into issues facing diaspora communities. They were all there to talk about the barriers that made it harder for them to participate in politics. I was appearing in front of the Senate committee regarding the underrepresentation of Chinese-Australians in politics. The three witnesses gave their opening statements. And shortly after that, then-Liberal Senator Erica Betts asked them all to answer one question. Can I ask each of the three witnesses to very briefly uh, tell me whether they are willing to unconditionally condemn the Chinese Communist Party dictatorship? Not a difficult question. It was a surreal moment. I think not just myself, but the other two witnesses. I think we all pause because we were asking ourselves, is this really happening? It seemed for me like a bit of a political game. It was almost like an ambush, really, that Senator Abetz asked the three Chinese Australian witnesses to denounce the Chinese Communist Party. Yun Jiang was one of the witnesses with Chu that day. Back then, she was the director of the China Policy Centre. Later on, I found out that, you know, the similar requests were not asked 
of any other witnesses. It was purely because we were Chinese Australians that we were asked to do that. I was very shocked at the time, and later on, I, I, I just felt, um, how how long do I need to be in this country? What do I need to do to prove that I am Australian enough? At the time, Australia's relationship with China had hit an all-time low. But how did it get there? As China has become more assertive under its current president, Xi Jinping, the Australian and Chinese governments have clashed over human rights concerns, including the repression of Uyghur people in Xinjiang and the clampdown on dissent in Hong Kong, as well as China's expansive claims across the contested South China Sea. China has confirmed its military confronted Australian warships sailing through the contested South China Sea. Tensions have also flared over Australia's national security decisions. China's ambassador on the attack, renewing criticism of Australia's ban on Huawei, preventing the Chinese telco from participating in Australia's 5G rollout. Jiang is now the China Matters Fellow at the Australian Institute of International Affairs. She says that 2018 was the year that Australians started to become suspicious of Chinese Australians. I mean, of course, there's always an underlying sentiment among uh, certain segments of society. Uh, you know, every time there's uh, talk about housing prices or even uh, selective schools, um, this issue still comes up. But this specific current wave of suspicions towards Chinese Australians, I think, started around 2018. Um, so for context, I... Uh, was working public service at the time. And around 2018, when the debate on foreign interference was in full swing. In Australia, it is clear that the Chinese Communist Party is working to covertly interfere with our media, our universities, and also influence our political processes and public debates. I felt an increasing suspicion towards individuals any individuals who have connections to China, and a lot of them would be Chinese Australians, of course. And I felt that within the public service. Jiang says it became harder for Chinese Australians to get security clearance for sensitive roles after this time. At that time, this was, you know, mo- affecting mostly Chinese Australians who have interesting policy or politics. So, you know, public servants or aspiring politicians and any links and connections to China were basically uh, portrayed as appropriate grounds for suspicion, basically. You're, you're basically guilty until you can prove to us you're innocent. Did you experience that yourself personally? Yeah, it's usually more subtle. Uh, microaggression, I think it's called. <laughs> so things like, uh, give an example, things like, um, you know, if we go into a meeting, someone will pointedly look at me and ask whether I have the appropriate security clearance. While everyone else in the room who are usually white, I'm usually the only minority as well, um, no, no one really questioned their level of security clearance. So things like that. Academics with research links to China also started to fall under closer scrutiny. The Department of Education established a University Foreign Interference Task Force, 
and a parliamentary inquiry was held into national security risk in the higher education sector. And then came 2020. A deadly virus that emerged in central China has now claimed six lives with warnings that that number will grow. The emergency has intensified as hundreds of millions of people travel for the Lunar New Year. And then with COVID, we also saw rising incidences of, I guess you could call it everyday racism. You know, there's people, Asian Australians being attacked for being responsible for COVID or for bringing COVID from other countries. That year, Canberra angered Beijing by calling for an independent inquiry into the origins of COVID. It would seem entirely reasonable and sensible that the world would want to have an independent assessment of how this all occurred so we can learn the lessons and prevent it from happening again. Then China imposed restrictions and high tariffs on Australian exports. With one stroke of the pen, Beijing's effectively ended barley exports to China, slapping a five-year, 80% tariff on the grain, claiming it's been dumped on the Chinese market below cost. And Chinese ministers stopped taking their Australian counterparts' calls. They wouldn't speak again for another two years. Um, would you, Ms. Ms. Jung, would you start and then we'll go to Mr. Chu and then Ms. Chow? That brings us back to the Senate inquiry in October 2020. Um, as I have uh, stated in a lot of my public statements, I condemn the grievous human rights abuses uh, done by the um, Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party. When Jiang was asked to publicly condemn the CCP. But I also have said before that I don't think it's fair to ask, um, I don't think it's fair to force um, all Chinese Australians to take a position or political action uh, when similar requests are not being made to other Australians. What did that moment represent against this backdrop of Australia's relationship with China that was changing so quickly at that time? I think that represents an us versus them mentality. Basically, everyone is forced to choose. You know, if you are loyal Australians, then you must condemn Chinese government. So that, that mentality is you, if you either have to choose one country or the other. So it's almost as if we're already at war. You know, during times of war, we are kind of forced to choose. By the moment, it's time peace. And there is areas of mutual interest that people can work towards. In fact, that's official government policies that, you know, we cooperate with China wherever we can. But that kind of a Senate inquiry as well as the media portrayal of China is one that people are forced to choose. And if you work even towards area of mutual interest, you are being naive. Osman Chu says the diplomatic tensions between China and Australia have helped influence how Australians view China and the Chinese diaspora. We're in a situation where China is now more commonly seen as a security threat rather than as an economic partner like it once was. And that shift has led to a flow on effect on how the Chinese diaspora is seen more generally. So there was a survey done by the UTS. Australia-China Relations Institute, 
that showed mm. 42% of Australians believe that Chinese Australians could be mobilised by the Chinese government to undermine Australia's interests. So basically, you know, up to 42% of Australians believe that Chinese Australians are some kind of sleeper agent that could be activated by the Chinese government. So that's really concerning for me as it almost borders on outright paranoia that Chinese Australians are a potential fifth column in Australia, noting the fact that Australia also has one of the proportionally largest Chinese diasporas in the Western world. But some say these perceptions of Chinese Australians haven't changed on their own. As somebody who has been doing research in the field, we have all noticed the change. Haiting Yu is a professor of media communications at RMIT University in Melbourne. China used to be portrayed quite as a friendly or even competitive strategic partner, but now it's no longer so. China and the CCP have been portraying a quite negative view from all major Western media, not just those media in Australia, but I mean Western in general. So the China is viewed as, you know, totalitarianism, authoritarianism, and the CCP exercising this uh, draconic control over Chinese people, particularly in uh, ethnic minority groups in Xinjiang and Tibet. So this is the kind of um, general narrative we get. And the Chinese people, on the other hand, particularly those living overseas, such as Chinese Australians, Chinese people living in Australia, including uh, people who have taken Australian citizenship, people who are permanent residents for a long time, as well as visitors and students, have been implicated. So quite often people feel uh, we are either regarded as uh, kind of spies, particularly in the context of foreign interference legislation, or we are regarded as some uh, people who are stupid, basically dupes who can be easily fooled by the CCP propaganda or censorship. And therefore, we just foolishly support the CCP, even when, you know, lots of people who come to Australia do not necessarily support the policies that has have been rolled out in China. But the moment you are not vocally anti-China, uh, you are then portrayed as pro-China. So this kind of black and the white kind of narrative uh, have made the majority of people who are in the middle living a very difficult situation. But all of these differences between Chinese Australians are often lost in the public debate as well as in everyday life. Lots of people can't tell, you know, whether we are Australian Chinese or we are, you know, Chinese who have just come here for a short visit. People like you, Jane, for example, you know, you're ABC, I guess, Australian-born Chinese, but you don't identify yourself with China at all. You never live there. (laughs) At least me, whenever I speak English... Uh, people can tell I speak English with an accent and therefore I'm told to go back to to China. Or when I was wearing masks during the COVID uh, restrictions, I was told to uh, keep your Chinese virus home. Uh, It's the most small things like this. It's it's hurting. 
you know, when we need solidarity, right? This is just small things compared to many other racist attacks that, you know, many Chinese members in the community have experienced physical kind of violence against those individuals simply because of the race, including people from Singapore or some, you know, people who may look Chinese but they're Koreans. You know, that kind of racism uh, doesn't happen overnight. Jiang says this has affected Chinese Australians' ability to participate in public debate. First and foremost, I think there is, has been a silencing effect. I have heard many cases where Chinese Australians are afraid to speak out in public um, what they think of either China or the bilateral relationship. And that has a larger effect, not just on Chinese-Australian communities, but also on our national conversation as a whole. So when we have this public debate, there is a group of people's voices that's often missing. In the lead-up to the 2022 federal election, the coalition talked up the prospect of a potential war with China. The only way uh, that you can, you can preserve peace is, is to prepare for war and to be strong and argued that a Labor government would appease the CCP. There's no doubt uh, in my mind uh, that the Chinese Communist Party would like to see a change of government uh, in, at the 21 May election. No question at all. Uh, what I have observed uh, in my lay language is the, the Chinese-Australians' dissolution with the uh, current state uh, in China-Australian relations. The potential war with China, the kind of uh, wolf warrior kind of uh, rhetoric from Australian politicians and the public speakers, uh, including journalists, have really made Chinese Australians feel unwelcomed, rejected and very insecure. Next how this disillusionment is affecting Australian politics. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Last year's election may have been the first time that Chinese communities' concerns were on full display. The 15 seats with the highest proportion of Chinese-Australian voters all swung much further away from the Liberal Party than other seats. 
That means that many Chinese Australians who traditionally vote Liberal preferenced Labor or an independent candidate for the first time. Not just even war, even the trade war with China has already impacted on lots of people's businesses and livelihood. Professor Haiting Yu observed conversations between older Mandarin speakers on WeChat over a four-year period. She says that during last year's election campaign, the biggest topic of conversation was Australia's relationship with China. And then secondly, I would say war, potential war with China, was hanging over lots of people's minds, uh, particularly among the older people who have gone through the Cultural Revolution. They have gone through the worst and they knew what would look like, what would feel like. And therefore, it seems like, uh, you know, a, a faraway thing. It's a possibility because there was time there was the drumming of a war with China and people, Chinese Australians, were very worried because they were worried that similar experiences happened to the Japanese during the Second World War would happen to the Chinese. What if there was a war between China and Australia and the Chinese Australians would all be put in detention camps? Then we would be all implicated and not just our livelihood or businesses, but our freedom, liberty. Right? So that was a really big topic at that time. They are just worried that by voting for the Liberal or the Liberal candidate they, they like, the Liberal strong kind of war kind of rhetoric against China would continue. That would be a kind of a tick to say, yes, you can do that, and that's not good. So they decided to vote for the independents or other minor parties in order not to punish I think it's like a warning, a sign to tell the Liberal Party, you better listen to to us, you better listen to the people. Osman Chu, who's a member of the Labor Party, thinks the coalition seriously miscalculated its anti-China stance. In my mind, in their attempt to wedge Labor on China to bolster their national security credentials, they forgot that the only constituency for whom Australia-China relations were a swing issue were Chinese-Australian communities, particularly those who have family or economic ties with China. And for them, it wasn't an abstract issue. It has immediate real-life consequences for them. And as a result, it backfired for the coalition spectacularly. It's something that we've talked about a lot as a party and, and something that I'm in conversations about oftentimes, given my background. Nicole Werner felt the sting of that swing when she tried and failed to win back a Labor seat for the Victorian Liberals at last year's state election. I asked Werner why she thinks Chinese Australians abandoned the Liberals both in Victoria and at the federal election one year on. If I can say more our federal counterparts that would sometimes conflate our language and would say, talk about Chinese people or not Chinese Australians per se, but Chinese people, and that would be conflated with the CCP. I think that we are making our way back and certainly I've been working really hard to make sure that we are having those conversations and opening up that dialogue and and being very distinct and very clear in our language. This was the same conclusion that the Liberal Party reached in its own review of last year's federal election. But some of the experts I've spoken to argue that this unfairly shifts the blame to Chinese Australians and underestimates their agency as voters without accepting responsibility for the kind of rhetoric that led them to abandon the party at the last election. 
Werner, for her part, is optimistic that her party is changing. She's now the member-elect for the Victorian seat of Warrandyte and the first Asian-Australian to represent the Victorian Liberals as an MP. I think for the Liberal Party, that indicates where we are headed. So for me, having won that pre-selection, that's the Liberal members choosing someone uh, that is younger, choosing someone that's female, choosing someone that is um, from, you know, Chinese-Australian ancestry, that they're wanting to choose people of diversity. They're wanting to choose people that are representative of the communities that they seek to represent. Werner thinks that the Victorian Liberal Party is now prioritising its engagement with multicultural communities. And at the federal level, Peter Dutton's messaging around China does seem to have changed in line with the recommendations of the Liberal Party's election review. Uh, We have uh, an important trading relationship with China. Uh, We want it to continue and to strengthen. Uh, We want peace and security for our country and our region. And we want to celebrate the fact that we have an amazing diaspora community here in Australia of people of Chinese heritage who are wonderful Australians. They've worked hard, they've educated their children, they've contributed to society, uh, they've contributed to their local community, to our country, uh, and that should be the focus. There is no pathway for them to get back into government without winning those seats that have a high proportion of Chinese Australian voters. In their election reviews, both the Liberal and the Labor Party noted that Chinese Australians were unhappy with the Morrison government's rhetoric on China. And both parties said that gaining these communities' support would be increasingly important for their political futures. I think people really don't understand that there currently is no other ethnic minority in Australia that has that level of widespread concentration across multiple battleground seats. I don't think there's that understanding about why that shift amongst Chinese Australians had such a profound impact at the federal election. I think there's a beginning to be a realisation, but when you look at those numbers, you start to get a sense that Chinese Australians aren't just a small group, they're actually quite a sizable minority, particularly in key parts of the electorate. Since taking office, Labor has been focused on trying to stabilise Australia's relationship with China. And later this year, Anthony Albanese will become the first Australian Prime Minister to visit the country in seven years. But China's rising power remains a big political issue. Really, we need to get back to a place where we actually talk about genuine issues and what we're actually going to do about them. So, you know, concerns about foreign interference, you know, how are we going to improve transparency? You know, how are we going to deal with questions about money in politics? How are we going to deal with human rights violations, you know, the harassment of dissidents, like concrete proposals and solutions? Because I think, broadly speaking, you can find quite a degree of consensus. But unfortunately, that there has been an attempt to turn anything related to China into a political issue for political gain. I'm of the view that we shouldn't deny or downplay the reality of foreign interference and the nature of the Chinese Communist Party. But 
we have this unhelpful perception that anything with a possible link to China is a potential threat that can be weaponized, including people of Chinese heritage. And I think that's been extremely corrosive. That was Osman Chu, a research fellow at the per capita think tank. You also heard from Hai Ting Yu, professor of media communications at RMIT University, Yun Jiang, the China Matters Fellow at the Australian Institute of International Affairs, and Nicole Werner. She's the member-elect for Warrandyte. If you want to find out more about this issue, I wrote a feature article about it for Guardian Australia. It's called What If There Was a War? Chinese Australians Wear the Scars After Bitter Years of Hostile Rhetoric. I'll post a link to that article on the Full Story website. That's it for today. This episode was produced by myself, James Milsom and Daniel Simo, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producer was Miles Martignoni. Special thanks to Daniel Hurst for helping me put this story together. Please remember to follow and subscribe to Full Story wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got time, leave us a review. It helps us find new listeners. I'm Jane Lee. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.